0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Monday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you from Chesapeake, Virginia. So glad to have another week with you. So today and tomorrow, we're going to be looking at the kindness of the Book of Ruth, the kindness of Boaz to Ruth, and really what we're going to be looking at is the kindness of God to us. You know, the Bible is very clear. Anybody interested in being a a leader in the church? anybody want to be a servant of the Lord uh, anyone who want to be big in God's kingdom uh, well Jesus said you got to be least of these you got to be servant of all Paul said to young Timothy as he was preparing for ministry he says Timothy as a Lord's servant you must not be quarrelsome but you must be kind to everyone you got to be able to teach but you can't be resentful so there it is right there you must not be quarrelsome you must be kind to everyone you must be able to teach And you must not be filled with bitterness. I think bitterness holds us back. I think it's something that holds us back from being all that God wants us to be. I was talking to the inmates at St. Bride's Correctional Center on Sunday night, and uh, we had the joy of baptizing about 30 men at St. Bride's on Sunday evening. And I told them in the message after the uh, baptismal service, I said, You know, in life, you will never get beyond whatever it takes to discourage you. What's holding you back today? Uh, Maybe it is the fact that you don't have a whole lot of money and you're worried about your bills. Uh, That's holding you back. Well, don't get discouraged by that. Uh, My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills too. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Maybe uh, you're filled with anxiety. He said, I'd like to do more things for the Lord and, and I'd like to serve him more, but I'm afraid. I worry a lot. Jesus says, who can add one inch to a statue by worrying? You know, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It might give you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. We are to cast our care upon him because he cares for you. Now, maybe you can't get over a broken relationship. Or maybe you can't get over a bad marriage or a bad experience at work or at school or even a bad experience at the church. Hey, I want you to know, God will set you free If you allow him to set you free, one of the ways that you know you are really growing spiritually is that you learn the art of kindness, or shall I say, the character of kindness. One of the fruits of the spirit is kindness. It's something that we're commanded to do. It's something that we are equipped to do. It is something that the Spirit of God gives us the energy and the direction to do it. So let's look at the book of Ruth today. There's only 85 verses in the book of Ruth, Uh, but it is an amazing book. As a matter of fact, here's my really bad dad joke before we dive into the book of Ruth. What was Boaz before he married Ruth? There it is. What was Boaz before he married Ruth? Well, he was ruthless. Okay, Uh, that is really bad, Uh, but I want you to know this, this little book of Ruth, the little four chapters, is a powerful, powerful book. You know, one day, Benjamin Franklin was in Paris, and he was being ridiculed for his defense of the Bible. There's actually a society that was over there. They were called the Society of Scoffers. They're in France, and they had no use for the Bible. Well, Franklin wanted to know just how much of the Bible those who were ridiculing him had actually read. Well, he told these scoffers that uh, he would like to come and meet with them and and, uh, and sit down with them and, and just uh, share a story with them. It's a story of ancient times, and he thought it was a beautiful story, and he thought they would appreciate the story as well. And He said, I want to get your opinion of this story. So a night was arranged. Mr. Franklin read the story to the Assembly of Scholars. Franklin loved the Bible, so he decided that he would read the entire book of Ruth. Well, without announcing it, he just started reading the book of Ruth, and uh, when he had finished, the scholars were in ecstasy. And they said to Mr. Franklin, oh, would you please print this wonderful piece of literature? Well, it's already in print, said Franklin. It is part of the Bible. It's the book of Ruth. Uh, So let's look at this wonderful short passage. If you love love stories, you're going to love the book of Ruth. Let's begin reading verse number one, and we'll go all the way down to verse uh, number five. In the days when the judges ruled. So we learn, first of all, that the book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges. We also learn that there was a famine in the land, in the land of Bethlehem. So we know from what is recorded when this took place. Most commentators would say that this was written, "Ruth was alive during the Book of Judges and around Judges chapter Ten, where or Jair is the judge over Israel. Now God raised up judges for a very distinct purpose, their job was to commune with God, to get the heart of God, to get the direction of God, to hear the voice of God, and then share that with the people of God. Uh, so the book of Judges is written. During a difficult time in Israel's history, Israel was in a dark place. They were in a time of rebellion, and as a result of this rebellion, there was a famine in the land. Now, when you think about a famine, in biblical times, famine was very common. As a matter of fact, it's still fairly common today in our world, but a famine would take place in a land for several reasons. Sometimes, a famine was the result of a lack of rain. There was an extended drought season, and the crops would dry up, and as a result, that would cause a shortage of food. Well, sometimes a famine would take place because pestilence would take over a land. Locusts would infest an area, and that would cause a famine. Sometimes an enemy would come in, and an enemy would destroy a land, and they would go through and just march through the, the fields as they were preparing to be harvested. Uh, And sometimes it would be a simple thing as being too hot or the wind blowing in the in the wrong direction too long could cause famine in the land. We don't know exactly the cause of the famine in the land, but God controlled famines and He still controls famines in biblical times and even I think today. Famine was often the result of God bringing judgment upon His people, and we look at what's happening here. But even when God brings a famine into the land. It doesn't mean that God's done with us. It means that God's trying to grab our attention. It says that there was a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and his two sons. They went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And then they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. So let's get the scenario right in our minds. They're living in Bethlehem. There is a famine in the land. They're alive during the time of Judges. This man is a strong believer, Elimelech. He's married to Naomi, also a Jewish believer. They have two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were advertised from Bethlehem of Judea, and they went to Moab. They went to Moab because of the famine in Bethlehem. Now, as we look at verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, we see this couple that loves the Lord making a decision without seeking the Lord. Now, just because there's a famine on the land uh, doesn't mean it's time to pack up the bags and move to Moab. But we don't have any indication that they sought the Lord's will before making this decision. To them, it must have been a very practical decision. There's famine in this land. We hear things are going much better in Moab. Let's take this 30-mile trip, and let's move the family to Moab. No, Moab was a bad place to bring your family. It was a Gentile city. And later on in the message, I'm going to explain to you the history of Moab. But here we have this couple. And I imagine that maybe this husband, Elimelech, is one day looking out, and and he's looking out over the Dead Sea— and he's looking and he can see the plains of Moab. And he can see that that it is a well watered land and it seems like it is doing very well. So he's just making a rational decision and he's saying, well, this is probably the best thing for me to do for my family. I mean, as the head of my household, isn't it my responsibility to provide for my family? So he reasons that the best thing for them to do is to move from Bethlehem to Moab. Let's look at verse number three. We're still in chapter number one of Ruth. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Mahlon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So tragedy takes place. As they're living in Moab, the husband, Elimelech, dies, and then the two boys die, leaving Naomi there with her two daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth. Now, they had been living there about 10 years when this tragedy takes place. Well, let's look at the characters of the book of Ruth before we go too far into our study. Let's take them one at a time. Elimelech. The word Elimelech or the name Elimelech, means God is King. So it's a two part word, Eli meaning God, Elimelech meaning king. God is king. So we gather from the name of Elimelech that his, his parents had really high hopes for him. Elimelech was actually the brother of Solomon, who was the prince of Judah. If you remember the story of Rahab the harlot, and this is uh, Rahab married that one of those spies, uh, Solomon. And we discover something very interesting here. Solomon had a brother, Elimelech. And uh, as you look at that whole story, it's an amazing story. Uh, So Elimelech, two-word name, meaning God is king. Now, unfortunately, he didn't trust God as his king to provide for his family. And then he married Naomi. That's a beautiful name. If you're looking for a wonderful name for your daughter— or your granddaughter. Naomi would be a good choice. Her name means the pleasantness of Jehovah. Her name means my joy, Uh, suggesting that she was charming and that she was attractive. And some commentators say that name Naomi means one who is irresistibly charming. What a beautiful name. So her parents had high expectations for her. Her parents, when they named her, looked at her and says, This is the pleasantness of God. God has given us this beautiful daughter. She is our joy. She is charming. She is attractive. And she's brought so much joy to us. Well, this couple had two boys, Malon and Killian. Now, Malon is an interesting name because as we look at the name Malon, we discover something very unique about this name. The name means sick or sickly or weak. So obviously when Elimelech and Naomi had Melon, they said, man, uh, he looked kind of sickly, right? Now, if you've ever been there for the birth of a baby, uh, especially if you're a dad, that child comes through that birth canal and is born. And I tell you what, it's a miracle to see it take place. It is amazing uh, to see it take place. But I remember when my oldest son was born when he was first born, I called him Conehead because uh, uh, he had been pushed on the birth canal for so long and they tried to put the suction on him. So he had this little round circle on his head and his head was kind of oblong-shaped where they tried to pull him through the, uh, the birth canal. And, and unfortunately, his head was just too big. And so they ended up having to do a C-section. Uh, but even after that, uh, he was born uh, with a, a cone-shaped head. So when Malon was born... Uh, Elimelech must have looked at him and says, man, he looks sick. Let's call him Malon. And then Kilion was born. And his name isn't much better. I mean, his name means weeping or grief or crying. As Some would say uh, he was a crybaby, right? Maybe he came out of the womb and he's just crying and crying and crying. And so uh, so they said, well, let's call him Kilion, which means crybaby. So, so here we have these two boys, Sicko and Crybaby being born to Elimelech and Naomi. And then we meet Ruth and Orpah. These are the two women that married Malon and Kilion. Ruth is a beautiful name. I have an aunt whose name is Ruth. One of my favorite aunts, my aunt Ruth, my dad's sister. As a matter of fact, um, I guess my dad must have loved his sister so much that when my sister was born, uh, she was given the middle name of Ruth. Ruth means friend or friendship or a sight worth seeing. Now, that word Ruth, Ureth talks about inward beauty and outward beauty. So, she was a friend that you want to have. She was beautiful on the inside and the outside. And then there's Orpha. That name Orpha is actually the name that Oprah Winfrey is named after, And her name was really Orpha, but uh, a little known fact, this biblical name, as it turns out, Oprah is not Oprah's real name, it's really Orpha, O-R-P-A-H. But somewhere along the line, there was a spelling mistake, and so the name became Oprah. And and this is what she said, and I'll give a direct quote from her, from Oprah Winfrey. She She says, my aunt really didn't know how to spell the name based upon the book of Ruth, and so it was misspelled. And so they put the P before the R in the place of the word. And so it's on the birth certificate. It's actually not Oprah, but Orphra. And so as you look at that, Oprah is a name that she has taken. And and you spell that backwards. That's where she came up with Harpo Industries. And so just spelling her name backwards. Well, that's a little fun fact. And I know it's true because it's coming straight from the words Uh, A direct quote from Oprah Winfrey herself. Well, as you look at this whole story, we look and we see famine in the land. And so Elimelech and Naomi move to Moab. Now, this is one of these times I wish I could show you a visual and I could show you where Bethlehem is and then across the Dead Sea is where you would see the plain of Moab. And so uh, this little country of Israel is an amazing little country. And as I record this broadcast, we are witnessing Israel defending itself, and Hamas has attacked Israel. Israel is now fighting back, and and we as believers should be praying for the peace of Israel. But there's a little strip called the Gaza Strip that Israel gave to the Palestinians many years ago. Probably a major mistake. They thought perhaps if they give them this uh, little strip that that would satisfy them, but uh, obviously it hasn't uh, and so now we are are in the midst of of witnessing war between Hamas and Israel and uh, we pray for the peace of Israel we pray that Israel will uh will thrive but part of it is a biblical unfolding of what God is doing well let's get back to the book of Ruth because we're looking at the book of Ruth with the mindset of what we can learn about kindness there's one of the major character in the book of Ruth a guy by the name of Boaz. And his name means Swift, one who is Johnny on the spot, one who was willing to do something quickly, right? Boaz was one of those guys that he didn't waste a whole lot of time talking about what he was going to do. He just did it. You ever meet that kind of person, type A personality, and uh, they're the type of people, they see something that needs to be done, Uh, they don't gather a bunch of committees and say, what should we do? They solve the problem, they fix the problem, and they move on. Well, that's Boaz. Boaz, his name means swift, but he was called the kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz is a fascinating character. He is a picture of Christ, how Christ bought us out of the wages of our sin and redeemed us. Well, Boaz buys out Elimelech's land and redeems Ruth, and it's a wonderful love story. But as we look at this, let me share briefly the condition that they were facing in the book of Ruth. The conditions were not good. When we look at what is happening, uh, let's look at, first of all, Moab, right? I told you I want to talk a little bit about what Moab is. The name Moab has a lot of deep meaning. The name is attributed to that area just short of the promised land. The Moabites were regarded as the enemy of God's chosen people, the Israelites. As a matter of fact, there is a city of Moab in Utah, and it derived its name from the biblical region of Moab. Now, the region of Moab in the Bible is associated with the descendants of Lot. You remember Lot? Lot was the nephew of Abraham in the Bible. And according to the Bible, Lot's daughters gave birth to sons, Moab and Ben Ami. Moab became the ancestor of the Moabite people and Ben Ami of the Ammonites. Now, let me set the background for how that happened. If you remember, God spared Lot and his wife and his two daughters, Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. Abraham goes to rescue Lot, and he begs of God. He says, would you spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if I could find 50 righteous people? Well, he kept whittling it down. He couldn't find 50 righteous, and then finally he gets down to 10. And God says, I tell you what, I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah if you can find 10 righteous people. Well, I'm sorry to say, and saddened to say that Abraham couldn't even find 10 righteous people. So God says, get Lot, get his wife, two daughters, get them out. Get them out because I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, as they're leaving, Lot's wife looks back. And you know what happens? She is immediately turned into a pillar of salt. Lot carries on with his two daughters. His two daughters come up with a scheme. They say, what are we going to do? How are we going to find husbands? Our family is going to disintegrate. Our family is going to go extinct. So they get Lot drunk, and they have a relationship with their dad. I mean, a terrible, incestuous relationship. And as a result, these two daughters become pregnant, and they give birth to two sons, Moab and Ben-Ami. The Moab becomes those that, that ancestor of the Moabite people, and Ben Ami becomes the descendants of the Ammonites, two arch enemies of the nation of Israel. When I think about what happened there, what a tragedy and what a tragedy. The term Moab holds several possible different meanings. In the Hebrew, the word Moab is said to be derived from the phrase Mihav, which translates, from my father. This meaning is based upon the biblical narrative where Moab is described as the son of Lot, his eldest daughter. When we look at what is happening in Moab, it's hard for us to fathom why Elimelech and Naomi would make this trip to Moab. Why wouldn't they trust the Lord? When I look at this powerful book of Ruth, it is a a short book eighty five verses, named after a woman, a woman who's not a Jewish woman, a Gentile woman of all things. There's only one other book in the Bible named after a woman, and that is the book of Esther. You know, as we look at the names that appear uh, ahead of the book of Ruth, we discover that Ruth is a non- jewish person, but Ruth. Has the priority of love, God's love, in her life. Let me quickly have a breakdown of of the entire book of Ruth. As we look at the beginning, chapter number one, disaster strikes. There's a famine in the land, and then the husband dies, and the two sons die. Naomi decides that she's going to go back home. Her two daughter in laws begin the journey with her, but then along the way. She says, now listen, why don't you go back and and why don't you remain here in Moab? There's no sense of you going to Bethlehem with me. Those are my descendants, not your descendants. Why don't you stay here? I mean, if you want to get married and and you're going to wait for me to have a child, you got a long wait on your hands. And furthermore, how is this going to all come together? Why don't you go ahead and plan on staying here in Moab, and I'm going to go back to Bethlehem well, Orpha decides to stay. Ruth goes with her mother. And then in chapter number two, we see Boaz intervenes. Boaz was going to provide, and Boaz didn't know who Ruth was. He knew who Naomi was. He knew who Elimelech was. They They were relatives. But then Naomi comes up with a plan of how to take care of her family. And then Ruth makes an offer, and and Boaz redeems Ruth, and then God blesses all of the descendants of Ruth. As a matter of fact, she is the great-grandmother of King David. The priority of love is what we see in the book of Ruth. Well, I want you to join me tomorrow. Tomorrow, I want to share with you four valuable ways that God uses kindness in our lives. I'll begin by sharing with you just a few more tidbits of information about where they were in the book of Ruth, but I'm going to spend most of my time tomorrow talking about how God uses kindness in our life. I think it'll be a blessing to you. I think it will help you to spread kindness to others. So join me tomorrow as we continue our study of the book of Ruth. So Lord, thank you for being with us today as we have looked at the background of the book of Ruth and we are just now touching into the, the surface of this powerful, powerful book. I pray that you open up our hearts, open up our minds to what you're gonna teach us through this book, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just before I sign off, would you give me a text message, shoot me a text message, if I can pray for you, okay? 252-267-2365, thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 AM. We'd love for you to join us. For more information,